Hi, my name is Michael Llewellyn. I play bass here at Union Chapel for the worship team, and I really enjoy doing it. I've been playing bass for a year and a half now at Union Chapel, and it's, it's been quite a journey. I never thought I would be here right now. Um, how I got involved was I, a friend at work who uh, was on the worship team and studying the music with them. Uh, I, I was talking to him about it, and I was just interested on uh, how'd you get involved? And not knowing that I would actually be up here one day, um, but through his encouragement and through his persistence, um, he led me in the right direction. And, you know, as I sit there and I think about myself as a musician, um, I'm always a critic. But once I got involved and I started to erase those doubts and uh, things started to come together, I started to feel more comfortable. And I, I thought, wow, this is me and this is helping me grow with my passion of music and this has taken me to a whole different level uh, with Jesus and it's being a part of the worship team um, it, it gives me good pride it's it's really neat because um, I'm taking a talent that's been given to me no matter how good or bad I think this talent is there's a talent there that I like to share with folks and not only does this talent um, grow within me what's what's really neat is it helps grow um, this church and when this church grows this really helps the community grow so it's it's above me it's way above me and every time I get up here I feel a great sense of purpose if anybody out there is sitting on the fence like I was uh, or you know somebody that you think hey this is a perfect person um, they should go out and, and and try and see if they could be a part of this team um, encourage them encourage yourself I encourage you uh, to go out there and give it what you got and um, you know they've been a help along the way I was nervous I was anxious but now I feel silly that I was it's, it's a good time if anything Michael said sparked an interest in you joining the worship team we would love to answer your questions if you want to contact us go ahead and check out the inside cover of your bulletin where you'll find contact information there's also going to be a link on the website under the events tab and you can also grab one of us after a service. We'd love to talk to you. Good morning, all. Trust you've enjoyed the last couple of days. Isn't it beautiful? It's hard not to be well with the weather like this, so enjoy it while you can. Uh, likely to snow again before it's over, but uh, this is a nice respite. I hope, hope you're benefiting from it. Thanks for bringing your Bibles with you this morning. We're continuing this uh, series we've been on with marriage and family. Thank you for all the good feedback. Uh, I know that the first couple of messages have been helpful to some of you and hope that today's message is also helpful. As uh, Emily mentioned, next week the title of the message is Sex After Marriage. It is PG-13, so heads up. We'll warn you again before the service begins next, next week, but uh, you'll want to place your children over in the children's area next week, and that would be most appropriate. Someone said, someone was joking this week when they saw the title for next week's sermon, Sex After Marriage, they said, well, it's probably going to be short. <laughs> That's not where we're going next week, but I did think it was funny, so. <laughs> yeah. Today's text is found in the New Testament book of 1 Peter. I'm going to read from chapter 3, the first seven verses there. So if you have your Bibles turned. 1 Peter 3. If not, we'll project these words on the screen. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. Thank you for doing that as you're able. 
And Peter writes to the church, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. May God inspire us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. If I had only waited like my folks wanted me to, maybe that right person would have come along. I probably missed God's best. I could have married Don. You know, he's a very successful CPA now. You should see the house they live in and the kind of clothes his wife wears. Surely there's someone in this world who would appreciate me. You obviously don't. I've made one giant mistake in my life, and that was on our wedding day 22 years ago. No one ever starts out marriage anticipating it failing, but of course, failed relationships happen. Uh, It's just like the fact that nobody had to teach you how to sin. That comes natural to all of us. You did that on your own. The same is true with a relationship. It will go backwards by itself very easily. If you don't give it the attention it needs, it can easily begin to erode. Therefore, no good marriage is an accident. It's not just lucky. No good marriage just happens. It doesn't fall out of the sky on two of the lucky people. Good marriages takes work and commitment and time and effort. The last couple of weeks, we've attempted to understand God's original design for marriage, His original intent, and we've taken from Genesis chapter 2 this important series of words and thoughts and values. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is God's original design, original intent for all marriages over the course of history. This was his idea. We have people in our culture today who uh, believe that they've redefined marriage. And it's it's a fascinating process that we've observed and been part of in our own culture and other parts of the world. And it's, uh, it's, it's part of the rationalization to change the definition of marriage to suggest that we don't want religious institutions telling us how to define marriage or we don't want history or tradition telling us how to define marriage. Um, but in fact, marriage has been defined the same way long before there was any religion. Genesis 2 occurred way before there was Judaism, way, way before there was Christianity. Genesis 2 is God's idea of marriage because marriage is a God-thought, God-wrought, God-designed, God-bought institution. And his definition of marriage is, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We've learned the last couple of weeks that there are some things to leave behind. And in the leaving behind, we leave parents and problems and places and people. 
so that we can give ourselves fully to our covenant partner. Last week, we talked about what it means to cleave to our covenant spouse, that we are to become inseparably connected with one another. To attempt to separate the parties would only damage both. And so we found the two rules of marriage. One is that we will never divorce, and the second one is that we will do whatever it takes to make the marriage work. And I mentioned last week that if you don't like the rules, then don't get married. This is God's original design. Today we want to talk about the fact that there is a one flesh concept, that you can become a, 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 a couple that is in covenant together in such a way that it lasts a lifetime. Love that lasts a lifetime. What a quirky notion. What an unusual thought. But indeed, this is God's best plan and design. You've heard me say that there's a huge difference between the wedding and a marriage. And, and that if people spend as much time and effort and energy preparing their hearts and preparing their lives for marriage as much as they do for the wedding, that they would probably be better off in the long run. Uh, I asked Siri this week what the cost of the average wedding is in America today. Are you ready? The average, the average expense for the average wedding in America now is $26,444. Bam! $26,444. It's quite a lot, right? Now listen, I, there's a place for pomp and circumstance. I get that. Uh, the wedding should be a great celebration. It should be special. It should be memorable. It should have all of those things. My concern is that we're losing sight, losing contact with the main thing. The main thing in a wedding is that we come before God, before God's people, and we make vows one to another that are intended to last a lifetime. It is serious. It is sobering. And because of all of the other amenities around weddings today and this obsession, this focus on so many other things and other details that we lose sight of the main thing, which is our union together before God. I heard about a couple, they were uh, having a spat and they were giving each other the silent treatment. Everyone know what the silent treatment is? Anyone here not sure what that is? <laughs> they were giving each other the silent treatment and it had gone on for a few days, and now neither one of them wanted to lose, if you know what I mean, because the first one to talk loses when you're in the silent treatment mode. And this guy had to get up to make a flight for a business meeting, and he needed his wife to help him wake up. And so he wrote her a note. He didn't want to lose, so he wrote her a note. He said, please wake me up at 5 a.m. And the next morning, he, when he finally woke up, it was 7.30 he had completely missed his flight. He was furious. And just before he was ready to race in and confront his wife about why she hadn't got him up, she, he noticed a piece of paper beside the bed, and the paper said, it's 5 a.m., wake up. <laughs> I think we have a winner. <laughs> One survey reports that 96% of all persons in the United States will eventually marry, 96%. 48% of them eventually end in divorce. And the number gets skewed because more and more people now, as you know, are choosing to cohabitate rather than marry. Cohabitation in the 1960s in the United States uh, included about 500,000 people who were living together without the, the, the formality and covenant of marriage. Today, that number is about 8 million, give or take. Eight million people are cohabitating. 
It is a phenomenon that is uh, so significant in our culture and our society that people are beginning to study it. And the research that has been done, and it's uh, pretty good research, it shows that men typically see this as a means to postpone marriage, cohabitation, while women see it as a step toward marriage. You see the dichotomy there? That's interesting. There's also good research that's being conducted now about the long-term effects of cohabitation. And uh, as you might suspect, maybe you don't, but I certainly would suspect that the long-term consequences of cohabitation are actually negative on a relationship rather than positive. So divorce rates and so forth are actually higher. I can't resist the notion, knowing this research indicates that men use cohabitation to postpone marriage and women primarily see it as a means to step toward marriage and the difference in attitude and perspective and motive in doing so, it's virtually impossible for me not to pause and say, women, what are you thinking? If Bubba can have his cake and eat it too, he will. So help Bubba out. And don't give in to that. Well, I have some encouraging news about marriage. Let me just share it with you. I'm very happy to report people still believe in marriage in our culture. 87% of young adults, 18 to 35, still plan on being married. Isn't that good? 87%. And 82% say it's going to be for life. And so that is very, very encouraging to me and indicates to me that there's still a strong value placed on marriage and the longevity of marriage. But we do have a problem in our culture staying married. And till death do us part is losing its meaning and significance. No one starts out with the expectation of failure, but marriages are failing. And so we ask, why are they failing? And why is it so difficult to live a lifetime with another person? Because apparently it is a challenge. And are there answers to longevity? Does the Bible have anything to say to us? What might God encourage us to consider if we want to engage a marriage that lasts a lifetime? I want to just share six ingredients, if you will, today that I think will help your marriage last a lifetime. And so if you see on your outline, there's six blanks. These are one word, one word ingredients, and they all begin with the letter A. And so a little heads up as we go through this list. The first one is this, acceptance. Acceptance. Romans 15, 7, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, of course, this verse is in reference to general relationships, but it's especially true in marriage. We are to accept the other person just as they are. We don't accept them as we hope they are going to be. Now, here's something you may be aware of, that 70% of people who marry, marry their personality opposite. 70% of the time, people marry their personality opposite. And that's not a surprise to us. It follows the old adage that opposites attract, and it's true. People who have opposite personality tendencies and traits do tend to attract one another. There is interest in the different. There is curiosity. There is perspective. And there's, therefore, balance and, and a, a better worldview that results when these two opposites come together. Now, here's what my wife, Beth, and I have learned over the years that perhaps you've learned this as well. We will have been married 39 years this summer. And what we have learned is that, the, that we are extreme opposites in our personality type, which causes us to have a, a very strong attraction 
in our courtship and early marriage. But what we've learned over time is that not only do these opposing perspectives draw us into a balanced perspective in the world, it can also drive us absolutely crazy. And these opposite tendencies can become very destructive patterns in a relationship over the long haul if you don't come to terms with and accept the differences in the other. And that's the point I'm trying to make. There are, there are ridiculous notions, ideas that, that men and women have as they go into marriage. And perhaps at the top of the list of ridiculous notions for a woman is that when I marry him, I'm going to change him. He is almost perfect except for those few rough edges. And it won't take me any time at all to nag those things right out of him. <laughs> dumb, dumb, dumb idea. <laughs> Can I just say that occasionally a woman who is in a serious relationship with a man will get feedback from her family or from her close friends, and they will say something like, I'm concerned about him. I'm concerned about the way he talks to you. I'm concerned about the way he treats you. I'm, con I'm concerned about that. And sometimes women rationalize those moments by saying, well, you're just catching him on a bad day. You're seeing him at his worst. And I want to just say, probably not. Probably your, your parents, your friends are seeing him as he is. And what I want you to understand is that as he is, is probably as he's going to be. It's a foolish notion to think that you're going to change that boy. Because the boys don't change very, very well. And the foolish notion that men have, women say, I'm going to change him. And men have the foolish notion to say, she'll never change. She's always going to remain the way she is. And so a husband will say, uh, husband-to-be will say, you know, I've seen her mother. Uh, she, she'll tend to gain some weight. But I'll keep her exercising and away from the table. And I've been around her mother. She'll tend to talk a bit too much. I'll muffle that. Hmm. <laughs> Probably not. It's a foolish idea. Dumb, dumb, dumb idea. It's, it's foolish. Because God made her the way she is. And if she's going to change, it'll require God to do it. Same with him. And so if we'll spend as much energy praying, spiritual energy, emotional energy, Asking for God's grace to accept the other person as they are and negotiate the differences, you know, peacefully and accept them the way they are. As much energy as we spend trying to change the other person and make them like, more like us, life will be a much more peaceful experience. And so God, God can change people and it's his responsibility to do some. So we accept our different personality other spouse for perspective and personality and practice, and it's an important component. Here's a second ingredient that will help you endure and persevere and maintain strong relationship throughout a lifetime, and that's attention. Attention. It's just another way to say love one another. First Peter 1, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. If you love someone, you know what's going on in their lives. You, you care. You notice. Remember the courtship? Remember the courtship year? Some of you, 
are in your courtship right now, and that's, it's a beautiful time, and uh, it's a warm and wonderful experience. Some of us who've been married for decades, you know, we have to reminisce and think back. But remember how narrowly focused you are on the other person during courtship? The phone calls, the dates, the activities, the prayer sessions, the cuddle sessions, the special places, the sappy talk phase. Remember the sappy talk phase? Some of you are in that sappy talk phase right now. My little smoozy woozy. My nookie wookie. Nicknames like Tiger and Tarzan and Beast begin to emerge. Names like Kitten and Sugar and Fluff begin to come out. I promise you, there's someone listening to me this weekend, and, and they're going to go home and say, how did he know I called you Fluff when we were dating? I don't know. <laughs> you skipped over all the bad stuff and only focused on the good stuff in courtship. You were trying to make a good impression. Women, women would obsess over what they were going to wear on a date. You would have major conferences at your home with all of your girlfriends just to pick out the right outfit and get all the right accessories because that was important to you. You wanted to give the very best impression. For men, it wasn't so much how we looked. It was how we smelled. It was all about the cologne. Now, by show of hands, men, are you ready? Show of hands, how many of you use high karate? Come on, fess up. High karate. How many high karate guys are in here? Come on, there's got to be somebody who's a high karate guy. All right, we got one over here. Thank you. How, how about brute? I got my hand up on brute. I used to wear some brute. Oh, boy. How about English leather? Yeah, we got some guys, English leather. How about Old Spice? Come on. You, this is a real man wearing Old Spice there. That's good for you, bud. How about Obsession? Anybody wear Obsession? I wore Obsession for a while. Oh, boy. The most popular one I think today is called Eternity. You know, that defines our love. Anybody? No one, no one fesses up to it. Some, there's a guy right in the room right now going, God, I hope people don't smell this on me right now. I'm, I'm wearing it. <laughs> Let me put this statement up on the screen because it's, it's so important. The opposite of love is not hate. It's apathy. It's not caring. It's just not caring. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder you. See, if, if you're considerate, it means you're really trying to understand the other and you understand by giving attention. Love pays attention to the other. Mm -hmm. So it's so important. Now here's the third thing on your outline. It's the word adjustment. Adjustment. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's a paraphrase of that verse. Give to one another as you give yourself to God. Another word for submit is to give. Give to one another. One survey recently said that marriages fail because of immaturity and selfishness. Immaturity and selfishness. Wow. Most would label these two things as incompatibility. In, in, but what does incompatibility mean? I mean, seriously, it's the, it's the word we use when we're trying to get out. We're just incompatible. You know, loved him once, but we're, we're, really, we found out we're incompatible. Wait a minute. There was something that drew you together 
There was, there was some kind of attraction that got you to the place where you were married. So don't tell me that you're incompatible. I just, incompatible my foot. Incompatible my eye. Incompatible the rest of me. I just don't think, maybe there's immaturity. Maybe there's selfishness that needs adjustment. See, adjusting the way you think and adjusting the way you act is required all the time in marriage. The way you think and the way you act, those adjustments have to occur like on a daily basis. Romans 14, 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. So adjustment has to be made. Here's number four. It's the word amnesty. Amnesty. You know what that means. It means to forgive one another. One guy said he has a beef stew relationship with his wife. He said, I beef and she stews. <laughs> yeah. Listen, constant fighting is a horrible way to live in a marriage. Resentment will ruin your relationship. And if you're inclined in your personality type or your style to rehearse every offense rather than release those offenses, then you're going to have to work extra hard because you will struggle if you can't let it go and offer forgiveness. By the way, most of you know that unforgiveness is one of the great destructive forces in the earth and that it always causes more damage to the one who refuses to forgive than the one who is unforgiven. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a horrible thing. I heard the true story of a man who had a one-night stand on a business trip, was very remorseful for it, went home and told his wife, and she took such great offense. She was a Christian woman. He was a Christian man. And divorce was not an option for her. But instead of, of separating, what she did was she held the offense against him. And, and it evidenced itself in her withholding from him conjugal relations for 20 years. 20 years. Someone asked the man, why do you put up with that? And the man said, you don't understand. I'm the one who sinned. I'm waiting for my wife to come to the place where she has the grace to forgive me. That's pretty impressive. But here's my question to you. Which sin is worse? Adultery or withholding for 20 years? Well, I don't know how you measure those two things, but I do know that her sin of self-righteous, pious judgment is a pretty grave sin. And the solution, the healing for that relationship is found in forgiveness. Marriage is an absolute perfect opportunity to practice forgiveness. Would you agree? I mean, there's opportunity every day to practice forgiveness, right? I mean, yes, it's a great opportunity. Look at Colossians 3 on the screen with me. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. That's good. That's good advice. It's a good word. One woman gave her husband a birthday card on the cover. It said, you give me that loving feeling. He opened it up. It said, sometimes you give me that I want to kick you in the butt feeling. But since it's your birthday, we'll not dwell on that. <laughs> That's kind of the right step, right direction. <laughs> so here's number five. It's the word Appreciation. Appreciation. We're talking about ingredients to help your marriage last a lifetime. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Encourage one another. What happens when something appreciates? You know this is true. In real estate, and in investment stocks, and collectibles, what happens when it appreciates? It goes up in value, right? 
increases in value. What happens when it doesn't appreciate? It means it's depreciating. goes down in value. So what we know is encouragement will increase the value of the person that you're encouraging, not only in their own eyes, but it'll, but it'll in, increase their value in your eyes. The encourager sees it that way. Bill Glass, uh, some of you know that name. He was an all-pro NFL player in his day. And in the 1970s, under the inspiration of Dr. Billy Graham, Bill Glass began a ministry called Bill Glass Ministries, and it's one of the largest ministries to those people incarcerated in the United States. Bill, Bill Glass is now 80 years old and has this incredible influence on, on people who have been in prison. And this is what he reports. Listen to this very carefully. He said that 90% of those in prison today remember one or both of their parents telling them that they were bad and someday they would end up in jail. 90%. Does that surprise anyone? That does not, that does not surprise me. Your words, either to affirm, appreciate, and encourage, or to tear down and to demean, especially as a parent or a grandparent, as a leader, your words carry enormous power. You've heard me talk about this before, but let me just drive this point home again if I can. The way you speak to your children as a parent, mothers, this is important for you. Fathers, it is extremely important for you. The words you use with your sons and your daughters to a large degree will determine their sense of value as a human being. You say, oh, come on, it was just, people, people will figure it out. Listen, your words will shape who they believe themselves to be in a substantial way. It's, it's huge. It's a big deal. Dads, your sons need to hear you say the words, I love you. I'm proud of you. You've got what it takes. Your daughters need to hear from you, I love you. You are precious to me. You're the most beautiful thing in the world. It matters. It really matters. In my own life, I, had a, I have a great dad. My dad's still living. He is a great, great dad. My dad would look at me. I can still hear him saying this. He would say this to me from time to time when I was growing up. He said, listen, you got what it takes, now go out and do it. You got what it takes, so go do it. Well, you know how I, I grew up just, here, this was my psychology. I, I got what it takes, so I'll just do it. <laughs> so whatever's in front of me, he said, well, I can do that. Just do it. Isn't that interesting? I, I'm the beneficiary of that. My high school basketball coach called me into his office at the end of my high school career. I was headed to the university, and, and he didn't have to do this, but he called me in and set me down in his office, and this is what he said to me. This is 45 years ago, and I quote, I believe you have the character necessary to succeed as a college player. How, how would I remember that verbatim from 45 years ago? Words matter. They're very powerful, very powerful. From time to time, I hear my wife Beth say, I am proud of you. You are a great husband. You are a great father. I'm proud of you. You know, when, when Beth says those words to me, I can tell you what happens to me. I just start inflating. Really? You say, well, you've got to be careful. You'll get overinflated. I don't think so. Listen, you know, what, you know what life is like. You're living life. Here's what life does. It kicks the crap out of you. 
You, you're not gonna, you don't know too many people who are overinflated. You know a lot of people who are deflated. Not very many overinflated. So go around inflating people. Build them up. Encourage them, especially your spouse. Say the words. Let me put this uh, statement on the screen. Strong marriages have the ability to affirm one another, reward one another, and express appreciation to one another. Mm -hmm. Let me help you guys. He says, you are precious to me. You are a priceless treasure. You are my joy. You are the sweetness of my life. I couldn't make it without you. I wouldn't want to try. She might say, you are God's greatest gift to me. You are a good husband and a wonderful father. You make me feel safe. You make me feel con content. I love being your wife. Yeah, those kind of words. See, acceptance gives marriage stability, but appreciation gives marriage vitality. So important. The newlyweds had just come home. This was their first night together, newly married. She cooks the meal. She said, I've made you my two specialties, meatballs and peach pie. And he sits down and looks at the food and says, great, now which one is this? <laughs> See, a guy with more experience would never say anything like that. That's just wrong. Dude, listen to me. You eat it and you like it no matter what. You're happy. Happy to have it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Here's something you might say to her. Sweetheart, you have the body of Beyonce and the soul of Mother Teresa. Word of warning, do not get those confused. <laughs> It'll go bad. That leads me to the last, uh, last ingredient, number six, and that's affection. You need the word affection. Touching one another. Romans 16, 16 says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Gary Smalley wrote in his book, Love is a Decision, this statement. Gosh, I read it years ago. I thought, you know, unfortunately, that is true. Here's, here's the statement that's, that's true. He writes that we tend to honor people we don't know and dishonor those we know best. How, you know, that is, you, know you think about that and, you know, Darn it, that's true. Jeez, that's just not, it's not right, but it is true. We tend to honor people we don't know, honor best the people we don't know, and dishonor those we know best. So you can see how that's just skewed, that's wrong. Look at this statement, I'll put it on the screen. As food and nourishment is to physical health, touching and affection is to emotional health. You know, when, when we get to this kind of subject, on marriage and intimacy and affection, that sort of thing, it, you can understand that it would make my wife a little nervous. It's a little awkward for her because, because the assumption is that all these issues that I bring up in, in these sermons and teachings, you assume that, well, he's drawing that from his relationship with his wife. And actually, that's not true. In some cases it is, but in many cases it's not applicable at all. And, but, but you can understand why it would make her feel a little awkward. It's one of the reasons why I try to clear all this stuff with her ahead of time so that she's comfortable with me saying uh, some of these things. Because the last thing in the world I want, because, see, I'm not fully formed. I'm not, I'm not all together yet. I'm still in process. Um, and so I, I, don't, I don't have all this down. 
And the last thing in the world I want to happen in a moment like this is for my wife to stand up, point at me and scream, hypocrite, and walk out of the room. You know, it, I, I really don't want that to happen. So I have to clear it with her. And what we've discovered over the years is that it's important that we acknowledge each other physically. One of Beth's love languages, for example, is non-sexual physical touch, affectionate touch. And so you will notice, uh, perhaps you will, that Beth and I, uh, when we are in proximity to each other, we're oftentimes in physical contact with each other. I will initiate holding her hand. She will initiate holding my hand. There are other moments I just walk up to her and take her arm. There are, there, there are little, and this is all in public. You know, we're married. We can touch each other. And, and, so, and so it's just a, a way of communicating our affection and our love for each other. We have lots of nonverbal that are physical in nature. And it's just grazing up against the other Letting your hand brush up against her arm. It's just, it just, it's the communication. I coach a lot of our young staff over the years. I've done this a handful of times when I've noticed that, that young men are not physically affectionate enough in public with their wives. And you say, well, I, public displays of affection, that's not, you're not supposed to do that. Hey, dude, you're married. You can hold her hand. You can take her arm. You can, you can wrap your arm around her shoulder in the right moments. It's, it's good, and it's appropriate. Well, what makes a Christian marriage? Oh, two, pe- two Christian people who get married. No. What makes a Christian marriage? What makes a Christian marriage is when you invite the Spirit of God to be present and resident in your relationship, and both parties are committed to being conformed to the image of Jesus. That's what it takes. Beth and I have been married almost 40 years, and our marriage is a work in progress. And we're committed to the ongoing work. Sometimes just knowing that there's a willingness to try gives us the strength to go on. As I told you last week, we are both committed to Jesus Christ, and we are both committed to each other. Beth knows that I will never leave her, and I know she will never leave me. And when times get tough, that really helps And so we are committed to seeing our love last all the way to the end. That's our commitment. And I'm sure that you wouldn't want us to be any other way, would you? Love all the way to the end. And we don't want your love to be any different either. We want your love to last all the way to the end. So let's pause and just uh, think about these things and pray about them. Would you bow your heads with me? Now, while we're in a spirit of prayer and attitude of prayer as we conclude this morning, let me ask you these questions. Have you accepted your mate? Accept them as they are? Or would your confession be, Pastor, I I have to confess, I'm guilty of working really hard to try to change them. Maybe today is the day you ask for God's grace to accept your spouse just the way they are. And do you pay attention to your mate? Do you love them? Do you know what's going on in their lives? Do you know what they think? Do you know how they're feeling? Do you know how they're doing? Because love cares. Remember, the opposite of love isn't hate. It's apathy. Are you paying attention? And are you making adjustments? 
Are you, are you giving mutually to the other? Submitting? Giving? And are you offering amnesty? Do you forgive? There may be someone within the sound of my voice today, this weekend, and you've been holding a grudge against your spouse for a long time. Maybe it's time, this is it, your time to forgive. Open your heart, open your hands. It's long enough. Ask God to give you grace to forgive. It will bring great healing to your life and your relationship. Make this day your day when you forgive. Do you appreciate your mate? Do you affirm them, celebrate them, encourage them? I hope so. And are you affectionate? Do you make room for the physical? One of the ways that I remind myself of this important aspect is I imagine my life without Beth. What if she were not physically present? What if she was gone? Am I taking her for granted? Her physical presence for granted? Give place to the physical. So Lord, in all of these ways, we thank you that you help us in a gracious and even powerful way to walk in the, in the great hope and possibility that love can last for an entire lifetime. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen every marriage and help us to set our eyes on the long run so this is, our lives might be honorable and pleasing to you. That's our prayer. Hear us now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?